What does the 2020 Data Protection Commission's annual report tell us about the approach, the views, the strategy of the Data Protection Commission? I'm Sinead Riley, a professional support lawyer here at Arthur Cox. And to discuss this, I've brought together three of my colleagues who regularly deal with the Data Protection Commission and data protection related issues. Welcome and hello to Colin Rooney, a partner in our technology and innovation team. Richard Willis, a partner in our litigation, dispute resolution and investigations team. And Rachel Barry, an associate in our employment team. Thank you all for joining me. Great to get you all around our virtual table to really examine the Data Protection Commission's annual report. You're all coming to this from different perspectives, which I think will make for a really interesting discussion. But Colin, first, maybe let's start with you. What does the report tell us in terms of the DPC's activity last year and its areas of focus or priority? Hi, Sinead. Well, it reflects the DPC's increased activity in 2020 across a range of areas. For example, we can see from the report that there was an increase in the number of statutory inquiries opened by the DPC and also in the number of data breach notifications to the DPC. So perhaps to focus first on the statutory inquiries, the DPC has a large number of such inquiries open. The report notes that there were 83 open at the end of last year, and a number of these are cross-border. These inquiries concern both multinational technology companies and also domestic own volition inquiries, including investigations by the DPC into private sector bodies and public sector agencies. I think it's fair to say that the DPC has, in recent months, come under some increasing pressure, I'm sure you've seen the headlines, to deliver decisions in relation to the higher profile cross-border investigations. I think, however, the case studies in the report do shed some light on why these investigations can take some time. There's a detailed process required to be followed under the Data Protection Act 2018, along with the GDPR's one-stop shop mechanism that applies to the cross-border cases. As expected, Several of the DPC's large-scale inquiries were concluded in 2020 with decisions being published, and I think we can expect the 2021 annual report to include a significant number of decisions by the regulator on some of the more high-profile cases and investigations which are currently on its desk. Colin, the report includes summaries of a number of decisions made by the DPC in 2020. Can you identify any insights into the DPC's approach to enforcement from these decisions? Yes, there were several notable trends. We can certainly see a number of interesting developments in the DPC's approach to enforcement. And while I could speak in some detail on this, I'll perhaps limit myself to four brief comments. The first trend that I would like to speak about is the inclusion of an order by the DPC that the relevant controller bring its processing into compliance with the GDPR. In a number of cases, the DPC determined that additional technical and organisational measures were necessary to protect the rights and freedoms of data subjects. These compliance orders can have a significant impact on how an organisation processes personal data. Corrective measures required by the DPC included additional training, regular testing of security measures and implementing policies regarding the sending and review of documents containing sensitive personal data. The second trend which I think is worth comment is the DPC's formulation of a three-step methodology for calculating an administrative fine. They start by considering the permitted range and locate the infringement on that permitted range. They then apply mitigating factors to reduce the fine if and where applicable. And finally, they consider whether the fine is effective, proportionate and dissuasive in accordance with the GDPR requirements. Interestingly, the DPC noted in a number of decisions that a controller's compliance 
with its own obligation to notify personal data breaches under Article 33 of the GDPR cannot be considered mitigating in respect of infringements of other articles or provisions of the GDPR. The topic of administrative fines could generate a much larger discussion, but in the interest of time, I'll move on. Yes, but actually, maybe that's something we can come back to on another day. Sorry, Colin, I interrupted you mid-flow there. Um, back to your third comment on trends in the DPC's approach to enforcement. No problem, Sinead. Um, the third trend is the tendency of the DPC to issue a number of reprimands to formally recognise infringements. In some decisions, issuing a reprimand was the only corrective action taken by the DPC. The DPC has stated that it considers a reprimand to be of significant value in dissuading any future non-compliance and that a reprimand emphasises the controller's obligation to take all relevant steps to ensure future compliance with the GDPR. This is, I think, effectively a warning that the DPC may take future enforcement action if the relevant issues are not addressed. The final trend, which I think is worthy of some comment, is the DPC's consistently noting to controllers that they are under an obligation to continually evaluate the effectiveness of their measures and to ensure an appropriate level of security of personal data. So really, I think what the decisions and what these trends show us is that the DPC is now using the extensive powers at its disposal and issuing decisions that have real implications for organisations processing personal data. Thanks, Colin. And that's important to be aware of in terms of engagements with the DPC. Richard, from your perspective as a litigator, what jumped out at you from the report? Hi, Sinead. Well, two things jumped out at me, really. The first, and Colin referenced this earlier, is the rise in data breach notifications. The DPC received, it says, 6,783 data breach notifications in 2020, which is a 10% increase on the number of notifications in 2019. And the reason this struck me is I'm seeing something similar in my own practice, not notifications, obviously, but more and more we're being asked to advise on disputes and investigations arising from data breaches. And typically we see these in an employment context where an employee takes the employer's confidential information and sets up in competition with an employer, for example, or brings the information with them to new employment. And in fairness, in many cases, unbeknownst to the new employer. And this throws up all kinds of issues. And we've seen a huge spike in these cases over the last 12 months, which must in part at least be due to the fact that large workforces have been working remotely or on an agile basis for a large part of that time and away from the normal supervision of the office environment. So that's the first thing that struck me. The second is a short section, maybe six or seven paragraphs long, which is early in the report that deals with legal privilege. And Richard, what was it about those six or seven paragraphs that caught your particular attention? I think for the first time, they reveal quite a bit about the DPC's developing views on legal professional privilege and the rights of persons or bodies under investigation to withhold privileged material from disclosure. And the report suggests that the DPC intends to challenge claims to legal privilege in investigations, which is right and proper, and it's absolutely entitled to do, but also to look for detailed narratives from persons or bodies claiming legal privilege to support their claim. And indeed, we've seen this with other regulators. And it's reflective of, it seems, an emerging trend, both in Ireland and abroad, of regulators increasingly seeking to get under the hood and interrogate claims to legal privilege. We might come back to this in our next episode, Richard, as it raises a number of issues, I think. And I'd like to tease it out with you a bit more. 
Turning to you, Rachel, what are your thoughts on the report? You're coming at this from an employment perspective. What jumped out at you? Well, Sinead, first on Richard's privilege point, we've certainly seen some scepticism on the DPC's part in respect of claims that documentation is legally privileged and does not have to be disclosed on an employee access request or a DSAR, as they're commonly known. And this really brings me to your question. What jumped out at me was that complaints relating to these employee access requests were actually the most common complaint to the DPC's office in 2020. And they accounted for 27% of all complaints. Now, while I was struck by this, I wasn't really surprised as such because I've seen a marked increase in employee access request complaints in my own practice in the context of employment disputes. They're definitely here to stay, like it or not. I also think the forward to the report gives some really interesting insights into the DPC's view about complaints in the employment context. In what sense, Rachel? Well, the report refers to the phenomenon of both organisations and individuals attempting to misuse the GDPR to obfuscate or to pursue other agendas. And that's the DPC's words, not mine. Interestingly, the DPC doesn't spell out what exactly she's referring to, but she does give us one example. Organisations deleting CCTV footage after they are on notice of an access request and afterwards claiming that they aren't obliged to provide footage as part of the request because the GDPR requires them to delete their CCTV footage every seven days. I think that the DPC is laying down a marker that she will call out what I might call GDPR blaming tactics. It's certainly one to watch. I'm sure in some cases, GDPR blaming, to use your own phrase, might be innocent as opposed to a tactic. Absolutely. And in fairness, the DPC recognises this in the report. She accepts that there can be confusion as to how the GDPR operates. The example she gives is that of organisations relying on their data retention policies to delete data that is the subject of an access request. Now, in my experience, this issue tends to arise where the person who gets the request from an employee, who's often an HR person, isn't the person in control of the data. For example, a security person might be in charge of CCTV footage. I do accept that some organisations may use this as an excuse not to disclose data, otherwise the DPC wouldn't have called it out. But in many cases, the data is deleted because the person in control of it simply didn't know there was an employee access request in being, and by the time they did know, the data had already been deleted. CCTV footage is actually the prime example of this because, for very good reasons, there are very short retention periods. Now, that's obviously a problem in itself, but to my mind, it's not a deliberate obfuscation of the GDPR. Certainly, it is a reminder for employers to organise themselves so that when an employee access request comes in, the relevant people are alerted immediately and data isn't destroyed. I think it's certainly appropriate for the DPC to call out misuse of the GDPR in any form, whether by organisations or individuals, and ensure that the regime is being utilised for the purposes it was drafted. I'm really interested to see if she continues to do so. Have you seen examples in your own practice of misuse of the GDPR to pursue other agendas? Yes, most certainly. I'll give you one example of what I've seen in practice. Employers will be familiar with offering an individual the opportunity to be accompanied at sensitive meetings, such as disciplinary meetings, investigation meetings, meetings like that. In one case, 
ISO individuals who were present at certain meetings of a very sensitive investigation in a supportive capacity only, later seek to rely on the GDPR in an attempt to get access to the entire investigation report. Now, this report didn't concern them. They were neither complainants nor subjects of a complaint, and it was very sensitive. However, they wanted to use the report in furtherance of separate complaints that did concern them. Thankfully, the DPC upheld our view that it was inappropriate to disclose the report in its entirety in that case. It's also worth saying that pursuing another agenda isn't necessarily inconsistent with or a misuse of the GDPR. For example, an employee is perfectly entitled to rely on the GDPR to make an access request in the context of an employment dispute. Was there anything else in the report, Rachel, that spiked your interest? Yes, actually. The DPC refers to a trend in complaints to her office that have little or nothing to do with data protection. And she also expresses a concern that complainants are using her office as a kind of no-cost dispute resolution service for general grievances. And she expressly calls out grievances relating to an individual's working environment. Arising from COVID-19, employment dispute resolution forums are heavily backlogged. And so I think it's an interesting observation from the DPC that, in the absence of a proper forum to ventilate grievances, individuals are turning to forums that are not equipped or intended to ventilate such issues. It emphasises the twin imperatives of employers having in place appropriate grievance mechanisms, that's your grievance procedure, your bullying and harassment policies, and all the other suites of policies and procedures that employers will be very familiar with, and also for the need for the WRC to return to hearing cases as soon as possible. Now, thankfully, we've started to get dates for remote hearings, so this should hopefully start to resolve itself in the near future. Thanks, Rachel. A lot in the report from an employment perspective, it seems, and great to hear that the WRC will soon be hearing cases remotely. One issue I'd like to come back to you on in another episode is data breach actions where individuals can claim compensation for a breach. Certainly. Happy to talk more about that. And I know Richard and Colin will have a lot to say on this too. I'm sure. Richard, we might also pick up on the legal privilege point in next week's episode. And Colin, we'll also have to take a deeper look at administrative fines at a later stage. Thank you all again. And thanks also to our listeners. If you have any questions on anything we discussed today, or if there is any particular issue you would like to hear more about, please feel free to contact Colin, Richard, Rachel or myself. You can also find briefings on the DPC's report and related data protection issues on the Arthur Cox website. Thank you for listening and goodbye for now.